Welcome to the No Referees Podcast, where we have unpenalized conversations with sports personalities on industry news, their grind, the game, and much more. Please check us out on our social media pages at No Referees Pod for up-to-date info on the show. No rules, no texts, no whistles. This is No Referees Podcast. Welcome back to the No Referees Podcast. I'm your host, Everest Akajobi, on the phone today with us from Charlotte, North Carolina, 2007 NBA lottery pick, 13-year professional, four-year NBA pro, the founder and CEO of Adapt Basketball in Richmond based out of Charlotte, the man that can make any beat on command. You can find him <laughs> on IG at Julian Wright underscore Adapt Basketball and on Twitter at JW underscore Adapt B-Ball. The man that had one of the biggest shacked in the food moments in KU basketball history. You know it. <laughs> our brother, our friend and family, Julian Wright. What up, brother? I'm much blessed to be here on, on the podcast, the Reveries podcast. I'm ready. Just uh just just excited to get get to talking about a lot of things right now where everything's slowed down. Yeah, man. We appreciate you joining the show today, man. We we followed your career over the years, and you got a lot of stuff going on these days, and we're just excited and, and happy that you're here to join us for a few moments and uh, share some good things with us. Oh, yeah. Most, de- most definitely. So we're based out of Chicago, you know, your hometown. We're uh, with a windy city, you know, where it gets cold, you know. Tell it the, the 773. You know, talk to the people about Chi-Town, growing up in Chi-Town, what it's like. All right, so for all the people that's from Chicago, you know, a lot of times they want to just say, where are you from? You ain't from Chicago. So I was born in Chicago and uh, moved out to the south suburbs, Chicago Heights. So I spent most of my, my time where, you know, my where I'm making, you know, the, my silly mistakes, you know, at, at, you know, I know and have memories of mostly is Chicago Heights. So about 20 minutes south of Chicago, um, my uh, dad and his side of family still in the south side and everything. So um, I got a little taste of the birds and the city life. Um, uh, so I was able to kind of see, you know, you know, I wasn't in like in the hood, but, you know, I was also not in, in you know, Mr. You know, Mr. Bean's neighborhood. You know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> uh, this, you know, so you know, I had a good, I feel I had a good balance. And I went to a pretty good high school, home of Baltimore um, in the south suburbs. So it was like a good mixture of, uh, you know, we got black people, white people. Um, you know, we had some Latinos. We got some, you know, a uh, few Asians. So it was like good for me to, to get that 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 you know that healthy balance of just intercultural communication. Young as a younger younger man growing up. So growing up in Chicago, like you said, younger guy. There are so many. You've heard so many stories about all the great hoopers that came from Chicago. You know, you got your Anthony Davises, your Julian Rice, your D Browns, your era kind of guys. You know, Will Bynum. Yeah. Talk about right. the, those kind of guys you played against coming up in the game, and what the Chicago basketball scene is like nowadays. Well, growing up, I mean, it was so competitive. Um, you know, just and I was just a fan of watching other other players growing up. You know, I was like going to watch Eddie Curry play. You know, it was little things like that. You know, what I'm seeing. Uh, T.J. Cummings went to the same high school. So, I mean, I, I was able to just kind of go some games. And I'm seeing guys, you know, uh, you know, and just hearing stories from my brother talking about different players. I mean, he caught some games I didn't get to catch, things like that. You know, you know, seeing Will Thrill as you spoke of. I mean, it was just it's just to see how competitive the guys. It wasn't just guys who were talented. You know, it was like 
you had to have a dog in you if you wanted to really go out there and show and prove. Because you know, every night you're playing with somebody who really don't care who you are. They might respect y'all when y'all see something in the streets later, like y'all older. But at that time, like I don't care who you are. You number one. I don't care. You number two in the state. Number one in the state. I don't care. So. I felt like that chip in the shoulder was for real. Like, you know, there's some guys that score 20, 25 points a game in some other states. But, you know, to score 20 points in the game, it was you earn every point. So I feel like that's how a lot of people got that respect. Um, and that was Mr. Illinois, you know, in, um, basketball. And I felt like every game was tough. It was never, like, just sweet for me. Did you ever, so I know it was the same for everybody else. Did you have that target on your back? Being that you were like a sub, a suburban quote unquote kid, and not like an inner city kid, the kids like ever think that you didn't have that dog on you. You wasn't, you know, what I'm saying you wasn't one of them right. type of deal. Right, but the thing that that makes it crazy, I guess people maybe don't really think about it. A lot of people that move out from the suburbs, they their parents are from Chicago, they got relatives in Chicago still. They like not it's just like it's not Mrs. Jefferson. You know what I'm saying? You just move up, you just away from everybody. So. You know, I found my time playing at a lot of parks in Chicago. You know, I had other brothers on, like, on my dad's side. And, um, so, like, I spent time in the city playing, you know, against people um, as a kid and grown-ups. So I was playing against grown-ups with my dad. You know, like, he just throw me out there and just, you know, I had to find a way to score. If I had to pass, had to rebound. I just found ways to be effective. I feel like that was the way that I was able to, you know, I know people were stronger than me, faster than me. And and I just made sure that, you know you won't go out tough me. I mean, and, and I, you know that's really helped me with the way I played. Even going, you know, living in the suburbs, I felt like I, I had a city mentality when I was playing. Especially because people we played against people in the non-conference and all that stuff. It was just you know we playing on the road and they just think it's sweet. So I felt like me growing up playing and showing, hey, look, I'm from the birds, but I'm not from you know. I don't really have anything to prove. Really, just 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 show you that I can play you know the right the right way, but also be tough if I need to. Me being a Texan moving to Chicago, you definitely see that Chicago grit out here with the the players that are from Chicago that play college basketball. You see that those kind of kids have more hunger in them, some more that you uh-huh. know, kind of that uh, that Patrick Beverly type dog in yeah. them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, That's yeah. kind of what I exactly. see across the board. You know? Yeah, with the you know, I'm, I'm a little out of touch with the younger younger ones coming up. I'm trying to get back more in touch. We can talk about that. Just some things I got going on, trying to you know make sure I um, get my toes back down in in Chicago. But you know, I still see it when I'm you know from afar. You know, I'm looking at clips. I'm oh, that's, oh, buddy's from Chicago. Okay, I can see it. You know, um, you know, so you know, with you being out there, I'm sure you were a little closer to the scene. Um, with me out in Charlotte area, you know, it's uh. It's always good to, you know, when I it's confirmed. Oh, somebody's from Chicago. I can tell. I, I really, you know, I, I like to see that how they, I know how they got that grit, like you said. So, your senior year, you get one of the highest accolades that a high school basketball player can get. Your name in McDonald's All American, and you're you're on the same team as future KU teammate Mario Chalmers. Did y'all know at that particular time y'all both gonna go to KU? And if so, how did y'all? What would y'all talk about behind the scenes? Um, not, not really at that point. Um, this is before, you know, people had Twitter and phones and, you know, catching, getting each other information, you know, it was just kind of like, oh, we got you know, catch everybody, you know, knowing that they recruit, you know, being recruited and things like that. And actually I had two other McDonald's All-Americans at KU. It's like trivia. Brandon Rush. Um, but another also, team, um, right? You on the West, are you on the East and he was on the West or how'd that go? Um, but he he was he could he went to prep school so he couldn't he didn't qualify for McDonald's All American his his year, but uh, I, I should have said uh, Michael Downs who actually transferred to Gonzaga, but um, Brandon Rush he played in the USA game though so they had like other games as well right right so um so basically you know just to see everybody was you know 
was out there and um you know just playing it was just pretty it was pretty awesome just to, to have all those guys in one one place and playing and and knowing that we would play together you know it was so it was good to be everybody there and uh, from there you know we knew we'd see each other in a couple of months you know that was march in the march for the mcdonald's all-american game and we got there in june so it was kind of like all right we'll see you but we didn't really talk about we didn't really you know you know it's just a different era now people go on Twitter and follow each other and get each other information like, right, right. like this. <laughs> Somebody told me once upon a time that McDonald's All-American, y'all had like a lifetime supply of McDonald's. Is that true? No, I, not that I know of. <laughs> y'all can roll in with like this private card or something like that and flash and get like a, a Big Mac meal <laughs> on them anytime you want it. No, nah, you know, they, they say the same thing about uh, in the NBA, uh, you're supposed to have this little card that gets you in like bars and stuff like that. I'm like, that, that stuff is just that's just rumors. It's 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 interesting, but yeah, yeah, we ain't had none of that going on. So being a kid from Chicago, you're nationally known. You're one of the top player in Illinois. How did the University of Illinois, DePaul, all these schools, UIC, Northwestern, let you out of the state and get to Kansas? How did you end up in Kansas? Yeah, it's interesting. It always tickles me. Uh, I just think about it because uh, it was like. I can put it like this. So, so for one, you know, I was I was big on U, U of I. A lot of it was uh, uh, champagne. It was basically because uh, Coach Bill Self was the coach there, and so I got you know I got a chance to go to the game and you know meet him and the staff. You know, I was you know starting to kind of really you know show myself as being one of the better players in the state. And uh, but at that time, I think going into my junior year, he he ended up taking a job at University of Kansas. So. I just kind of automatically put them on the list, but I was still open to other schools. And then uh, Coach Self had some some issue, I think, with, um, I don't I can't remember him being too technical, gastro or something. Some type of surgery, it was like um, an emergency. Basically, he had to, he was in recovery period for a while. And um, that was during the time when the coaches recruiting. I mean, come out to, you know, come out to games, did things. And I, I, know, I, I know every player is probably looking like who's in the stands for my game or warming up. And I'm like, okay, y'all was recruiting me. I was getting emails. I mean, getting mails and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, I just didn't, I wasn't seeing a lot of KU people in, you know, in, you know, in representatives or anything. So I just <laughs> yeah. kind of felt a little salty. Was, you, had, you had crickets back then, huh? <laughs> yeah, my yeah, my younger self was just like, man, they whack. And so basically, <laughs> I, was, I mean, that's my thoughts. I'm like, man, I'm like, y'all, I, I, I want y'all to be one of my top four or five choices. But so basically, I just kind of dropped them off my list for a while. And I was just really considering University of Illinois, um, Champaign, and then um, DePaul, and then I had Arizona, University of Arizona on the list. And I was kind of going in that route. And then it was that last visiting um, uh, window in my, in my senior year. And this is the time I was like, I was basically the top 10 player in the, in the country at that point by my junior year because I had um, won the Peach Jam. We had did well in all the tournaments, AU. I played with the Illinois Warriors. Um, and so, like, that's an AU team, big Nike, on Nike circuit at the time. And so, like, I was like, at this point, I'm like, now, you know, what's the reason me really, like, entertaining them anymore? Cause, uh, but there goes my mom coming in. She was like, you know what? They've been reaching out to me, and they just really are sincerely sorry sorry for the timing of everything. You know, he had that surgery, he had to recover. So, yeah, he wanted to come out and wanted to talk and show it. So even so, he's in the stands, showing that he's interested. And she was like, just give him one chance. They flew out, had a conversation with them. And I just try to play it cool, like, okay, you know what? Because I felt kind of like, I, I was being kind of like, I didn't even want to hear why. I was just like, 
I'm blowing up. Now y'all just want someone to come back uh, to the table. Back then they didn't want me. Now I'm hot. They all on me. Right, right, right. Exactly. So basically, all that being said, 20 minutes, they were like, they had left the house. And I just like, I just like broke down crying. Like, man, I feel so bad how I treat them. Like, I, re- I really want to go there. Like, I knew that. Like, deep down, I really want to go there, like, play for Cosell. Um, and so I just called them back and I just said, hey, look, I'm coming. Like, I feel like it was enough time. Like, I already kept it in the back of my head. Like, you know, I'm like, I, they're off my list, but I'm still like, you know, they ain't got a lot of people signing. I'm kind of checking, okay. So basically, I just said, look, before they go around and sign somebody else, they, they probably know they don't want to sign and be like this type of deal. And I'm going somewhere I don't want to go. I said, look, I just want to go play for KU. And that was before my visit. I didn't even go on an official visit. Did you even know where Lawrence Kansas was at at the time? Yeah, I was following, you know, close uh, Roy Williams there and everything. I, that's why I said I, I like Kansas and everything. And then being on top of that, with, um, with Coach Self going, you know, from, from U of I Champagne to, to Kansas, it was like, oh, I feel like this was a, a great situation. I just, I didn't want to commit so early. You know, I was going to my senior year. I was like, I got to make my mind so I can just focus on the season and all that stuff too. So that's kind of how it went. I was like, I, don't, I just canceled all my other visits I had lined up. And I just Ooh. said, look. Yeah, so I just basically went on uh, Midnight Madness. That was my a visit, even though I already made my decision. Yeah, so that's that's the rest of history. So you get there, Allen Fieldhouse, Midnight Madness, Rock Chalk, Jayhawk, KU. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you, you hear that? You sold, huh? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was it, I, I had committed, but I didn't sign my letter of intent. But I was like, once I was on the visit, I was just like, yeah, it was like, it wasn't even no silly decision I made. It was just like, you know, it's like sometimes it's, you know, it's, it's in your heart to do something you want to do it. Like, you can't let emotions get in the way. And I was kind of salty, like I said, because I'm like, man, I'm in the stands. I'm seeing all these other schools. And I'm not seeing KU. That's like, what, what message is that saying to me? I'm like MVP of the Peace Jam. I'm like, they're talking about top 10 in the, in the country. You was that dude. I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, top, I'm ranked top 10 in the country. And I'm like, now, you know, then also I'm seeing them trying to reach out to, to you know, to me and everything and through mails and stuff. I wouldn't even read the mail and stuff like that. But they, you know, they were just, they were sending them something addressed to my mom, just like, hey, let her know the situation. She was just like, just let them, you know, just let them come in. If you don't really care what they have to say, you'll know, but just give it a chance so you're not really having that what if moment. Right. And uh, so it made, it made sense, you know, how to just do that. And, you know, that was kind of like my first, that was my, I called my big boy decisions. I was still 17 and that was my big boy decision. So you get there, get to Kansas, get to Lawrence, Kansas, big boy decision. Like you're saying, you playing for a big boy coach, big boy program. Tell everybody what it's like to play for Coach Self, what he demands from his players, his basketball acumen, second to none. Just tell yeah. you know everybody what it's like just to be day in and day out with Coach Self. He's he's all a famer, and it makes sense. Uh, just seeing his consistency, um, you take you see all the teams, the players. He's he's motivated. Um, he doesn't always he hasn't always had like a number one recruiting class or like five you know all Americans or let's say uh, uh, the you know top recruiting class. But by the time they're a junior, senior, by the time they leave there, they're definitely a better player. Um, and and I think the one thing that that separates him from, and I'm biased, obviously, <laughs> uh, from you know some of the other you know coaches, even who are in that same echelon. I, I feel like he's a he's very approachable. You know, he's a people person. Um, but he he has high demands during the court, like off the court. I mean, on the court, off the court. You know, he's he's approachable. He's he's he has an open door policy. You know, and then as a young man, you know, like that's what I feel like that's what you should want is to have, you know, who's to be your leader, mentor, 
somebody you can come in and just talk about life, different things, you know, um, and, and even though it seems to be shielded from the, the whole campus experience of going to get a job and working on stuff, it's high demands, you know, um, uh, of, you know, basically coming there and, and producing that place like, you know, KU. So I, I feel like he really did a good job of, of managing different personalities and, uh, you know, just, just getting the most out of everybody, um, out of their talent. I think he would help people see how good they could be, even though they are recruited there because they're good enough. But that's what I really respected about him. And, um, and then lastly, he, he didn't, he told me one thing I respected are all the coaches and, and that's not to show, throw shade to other coaches, recruiting styles or, 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 or philosophies is that he said, look, if you play for me, I'm not going to give you minutes, Like you're going to have to earn them. Like he didn't want to make promises. And I feel like, and nowadays, and even in that time period, a lot of there's a lot of kissing butt going on, and it's like I was just like I could respect that because I saw I was me in high school. Like I played JV my freshman year. A lot of people don't know that. Like I had to earn my minutes, so I always felt like every coach I played for, if they if I earn the minutes, they can't take them. But if they give me minutes, then you know they could just find a reason to like ah we're gonna play somebody else. So I feel like you know I earned every minute. I didn't even start until like the second part of my freshman year. So every minute I earned. I, 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 and I, he couldn't even take him from me as long as I kept being consistent. I got a chance to uh, actually meet Coach Self this past basketball season. One of my uh, best friends, uh, Jeremy Case, is on staff, was one of your ex teammates. Uh, right, the time right, my right. team, we went down there, uh, we played the women's team, and uh, Jeremy gave us a tour of the facilities, the locker rooms, and I got a chance to meet Coach Self for the first time. And the first thing I, Thought when I first met Cosell, I was like, "Dang, Cosell, tall in the mud. He about six, he about six, four, six, five. I was like, "Damn, Cosell, tall in the mud." But he was super cool, down to earth, one of the nicest guys uh, you know I've met, and uh, it was yeah. really an honor. Got a chance to go in his office, see all the rings he got, and all the the, the yeah. everything. Man, it was just like, whoo! It was like amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I've heard about Cosell is that. He's legendary for having really in-depth film sessions. Tell me about a time that Coach Selfman got <laughs> on you in one of his film sessions that he had. Being soft. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things. <laughs> I mean, I was 6'8 and like 220 on a good day. In the off-season, 225. In-season, like 218, 219. But I'm in the Big 12, so I'm playing against people like I, I was, you know, the one thing that you know we can talk about my, you know, my reason of going pro as well. But you know, um, my time there, uh, it really molded me to. A, a, you know, I thought it was tough in high school for I was playing. I was playing point guard in high school, you know, and I was playing against, you know, guards, and then I would have to play against, you know, fours in AAU. But that's not the same physicality in terms of playing, you know, against people, you know, grown ups. I'm 19, 18, 19, playing against 21, 22 year olds. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm playing against Marcus Aldridge, my, mm. my freshman year. I'm playing against, you know, a uh, guy named, uh, uh, goodness, Alex, what's his name, last name, or his first name? But anyways, he was a big guy. He was from, I think, Australia, somewhere like that. He played for Nebraska, I believe. So I'm playing against, like, 6'11", 250. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm trying to say. Like, so you, so you, was bar- you was barbecue chicken down there, huh? <laughs> no, I, I had my own, but it was just, you know, he like he was just, since he, you know, since I was playing, like, I was playing a four. Like, I was kind of one of the first, like, not the first, because Danny Man was, like, one of the first point fours, but, like, I felt in a long time by like, playing that point four position. Um, but on defense, it didn't matter. Like, I had to I had to box out, play defense against, like, you know, just corn fed, just, like, I'm, I'm just, like, 
I should be playing football, but I'm playing basketball type players. Like, and so like he would just kill me in, in film, and like you know maybe I missed a box out, or you know, they just they just kind of threw me off of them for a rebound. But it didn't happen that often. I, I held it on. I was skinny and wiry. I've always been like skinny, but just you know strong. I really haven't really just been thrown around. Only person that really threw me around, and, and, and I, we can, you know this is just a quick uh, quick uh, filler is that uh, you know I know you uh, interviewed Reggie Evans for the podcast. Like I play, I play with him in Toronto. Like he threw me around the practice. But, mm. <laughs> well, other than that, I mean yeah, I was on another level. But uh, other than that, in in, in, big, in the Big Twelve, I held I held my own. So, like you mentioned, you played you two years at Kansas. You're known as being very versatile, skilled, uh, high flyer. Yeah, tip dunks. You know that kind of pinch post area was kind of your sweet spot. Block shots, yeah. rebounds. But one of the most memorable moments of your KU career <laughs> came with the "Wanna Get Away" dunk, the January Man. 31st, 2007. Y'all, oh, were, y'all, it's y'all, definitely history. Y'all were, history. <laughs> you got the date. <laughs> y'all were uh, playing at home versus Colorado and Allen Fieldhouse. Yep. You get a steal on the, the left wing, and then take us through it. <laughs> oh man! So what happened was, I had a wide open like I got a steal, and it was like you know I hadn't had a, a wide open dunk like that probably ever. Like okay, practice is nothing. Like it's not the same as a gentleman. I was so hyped. It was one thing. <laughs> That's one thing. First off, first yeah, sixty, yeah, sixteen thousand fans. Allen Fieldhouse cheer you on too. I, I, right, I was hyped, but the one thing was, and people still, even my teammates to this day, they they probably won't believe it or whatever. I slipped as I was going up. <laughs> it, it, it was probably on my own sweat. It was probably on my own sweat because I sweat a lot. So it's probably me. You know, it's like a banana peel. Like I slipped on my own. I was just saying, I, if I had to take even more responsibility, I probably slipped on my own sweat. So, you know, obviously guys are playing and it's dripping sweat or, you know, it's, you know people fall in the paint, whatever the case is. So, you know, where I took off at was far. So when I realized oh, I wasn't going to make it, I just – I try to finish – I just uh, – if you look at that film – Oh, I watched it. Completed. I watched it about five times. <laughs> but check this out. I didn't dunk it, but I still completed the windmill because I moved my arms <laughs> in the <laughs> – I just didn't. I just didn't get to do it. But you know what? I should get paid for that Southwest. That's one. That's one thing I'm really bad at. I should get royalty. The royalty. Yeah, man. I should get royalty. I know somebody made it up on on YouTube, but if they, you know, if they really make that a commercial, I, hey, I'll be happily retired before now. So when you missed the dunk, or I don't know, is that a, a missed dunk, or what is that? Is that a, is that a, uh, counted as? A, it's a misdone because I did a windmill. I moved my arms in the motion and I just went close. <laughs> yeah, so misdone. when you on the ground, like you on the ground and like everybody, I talked to <laughs> I talked to Case about it. He was like, man, he must got a cramp or something. <laughs> 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 what were your teammates and the coaches said like after the game, or the next time out or anything like that? So this is how it happened. So I, I basically was in shock. Like I was hurt, but I just act like I was hurt. That's why he laughed at me even more about it. <laughs> I wasn't hurt. I was just like, what am I supposed to do right now? <laughs> and the PTI killed me the next day. Uh, but anyways, uh, to, to answer your question, um, I, I basically, I mean, everybody was professional. I say, we just, all right, went to the timeout. Coach called a timeout. You all right? Whatever. He subbed me, I believe. I can't remember if he subbed me or not, but I got back in the game I played. And I played decent the rest of the game. But the, you know, it wasn't to film a game to my film. They killed me. You know, we won the game. It's always easier to kill somebody film when you win the game. And um, you know, I tried to play that Saturday and play like the next day or so. So we had moved on from it. It was kind of like you know, just like a dead moment. I think we had two or three days without a game, and that's when they just killed me in practice. Guys jumping and falling, 
stuff like that. So it was cool, but you know, it's funny that a lot of people, you know, never you never get that publicity when something happens. But we played Colorado again at Colorado, and they were like, you know, hecklers, you know, hecklers and everything. You know, just like you know, just, I forgot little posters about me falling and all that. I stole the ball one time. It took off almost dangling from the free throw line, two hands and dunked it. But nobody cares. <laughs> <laughs> you felt good about that one, huh? Yeah, I was just like, take that. But, you know, nobody cared because, you know, it, was, it, it wasn't me falling. It was like, oh, are you supposed to do that? When he, when he fell, you're supposed to do a windmill dunk. But, uh, yeah, that was a good moment for me. KU was a great moment for me in my life. It was two years, but, I mean, I learned a lot, you know, becoming a man. I feel like it really was that bridge, that, you know, from, like I said, big boy decision to go you know, Making a grown man decision to jump, right. jump ship and go to the league. You end up being drafted with some of the greatest names in NBA history. It was like it was like the lottery pick of bigs. It was all like guys mm-hmm. that were like six eight, six nine or taller, like Kevin Durant, right. Jeff Green, Thaddeus Young, Spencer Hodge, yes. Joe Kim Noah, uh, yeah, Al, Al Horford. Horford. I right. mean Julian yeah. Wright. I mean it's like it's, I was like the I forgot that was a Ye Ye Julian. Do you miss Greg Greg Oden? Greg Oden, yeah. Right. Greg Oden, yeah. (laughs) But hey, that hey, that was a draft known for Kevin Durant. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you know, going through that process, going through those pre-draft workouts, you're basically being matched up with all these same kind of guys. You know, how did you feel Mm -hmm. where your draft talk was going to be? What was your agent telling you? Did you know you was going to be lottery pick? Did you know you was going to be outside first round? Like, talk to us about that process. Uh, so it was a tough decision at first. I was like pulling all nighters like two weeks straight. Like I was like, I probably got like, if you're talking normal, if they say normal, you know, so let's say eight to ten, nine hours of sleep per night, I was probably getting like two. Man. I was like just just trying to figure out like I'm gonna stay or go back. Um, because we lost in the Elite Eight to UCLA, and it was just a sour taste in my mouth. And I was like, man, I'm coming back. That's what I said, of course. When I was, you know, being interviewed, like, yeah, I'm coming back. We got to come back and win this. Um, but, you know, I just decided, you know, my stock was important. I had to make a grown-up decision because, you know, the, the same team returned, and I felt like my stock was going to be – like, it's going to seem like I didn't get better because my stats are going to be the same. Um, that was a big reason why I left. And um, also, I, I didn't feel – like I was like the team is benefiting. We're winning. We're gonna, you know, I'm like we're gonna make the tournament again next year. I'm like we're gonna make the. T- I, I feel like we're gonna get right back to where we were, if not go farther. Which of course, you know, we can probably talk about that. You know, mm-hmm. 2008, K right. winning it. Right. So I felt like the same. I felt like we had a great chance to come back and win it all. And I was like, well, that's great for the team, but come draft next year, I'm a junior, and my stats are still 12 points, eight rebounds. Well, ain't no other point, ain't nowhere else to score. Like everybody's so it's a, it's a well balanced team and I felt like my skill set what I wouldn't be able to show without my, my ability because I went I came play point guard in high school and then I played power forward in the NBA and at that I mean in NCAA and at that time it wasn't small ball in the NBA. Right. You know what I mean? So it was just like you have to be I was like, well my natural position most likely would be a small forward in the NBA. Right. That was like I was like, well I gotta go now while they're just still looking at oh upside. Mm. So I didn't want to play a whole nother year. It was just it was like a um, not a personal decision, it was a business decision. I'm like, right. everybody goes back next year, I'm not going to be able to show my perimeter skills that I didn't get a chance to show in college right. because I just was a great fit as a point forward in, in college. I was like, well, that's not how they plan in the NBA. Had I been, you know, had I been five years younger, I was like, yeah, I'm cool. I'll come back another year. I got to say, you know, but, you know, that's kind of how it was for me. I was like, I got to show that, hey, I got to get out of here before 
they start wondering if I even can, can make a perimeter jump shot. I mean, it's, can I can I do anything as a six eight two twenty? Like that that's, that's not an imposing figure for a big man. Right. So all that being said, with the um, pre draft, it was interesting because I got a chance to play against those guys. But I was always a guard, you know, growing up. So it was like good to just finally play like a, you know, a perimeter player. Um, I think that with the new ball and the NBA ball, I was trying to get used to that. I didn't shoot as well. And then also just a whole two years, I didn't really work on a lot of my jump shot like that. Um, it was still um, humbling to know that I was still being projected as a, as a first round. That was just all potential. Um, but I rolled my ankle actually in, in during the pre-draft and I didn't get a chance to work out with a lot, a lot of more teams. I probably worked out for like five teams instead of like 10. And I threw in like two or three more teams and I got over my ankle, but it was like, I wasn't the same, you know, for the rest of the um the workouts. So um I I actually had a chance to um go they drafted seventh by the Bulls. Oh no, 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 they weren't seven, that ninth. That was Joaquin Noah. Um, but I um they I mean they weren't I couldn't tell I couldn't beat them say no. They, they were just saying we were really interested in drafting, but I felt like I was too immature to, to like play in Chicago at 19, mm-hmm. 20 years old. Right. So I just felt like, you know, that would I would be a I could, I felt like I would be at the lead right away just because I'm just not focused. Like that was me, you know, I just told them, of course they draft me, I'm gonna do what I gotta do. But so I I, I won't say I slipped, but you know, I, I could have possibly drafted ninth. And so I, I just think if I dropped thirteen, I didn't work out for New Orleans twenty. Yo, you ain't living your life right. Pick up your device right now. Well, if you're driving, stay focused on the road. And hit that subscribe, follow, semicolon, period, whatever you got to ensure that every week your eardrums is buzzing with our new episodes, all right? I'm subscribed. Yo, you subscribe? All right, we good. Let's get back to the show. So you get drafted by New Orleans at that particular time. 2007, eight season is the year that New Orleans came back to the, the Hornets came back to the city of New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. They had played the previous two seasons in OKC. What was the, right. the feeling around the team? You coming in, the team coming back at the same time, being back in New Orleans. It's the city's team after Katrina. The city's trying to pick itself up. What was that atmosphere like? Uh, that was that, that was a really memorable season, my rookie year. Um, not stats, not this or that, but just like you said, just being back in the community, being out there in the community. Um, that was my first, you know, experience as a pro, and um, you know, like All Star Weekend was there as well. So I was able to do some things in the community and, and uh, just and just get out and just get to meet people from Orleans because it was really like Chicago, and there was like some AU tournaments here and there, we in and out of the city, and then we back home Chicago area, and then. It was Kansas, and it was like, okay, Big 12 game, you travel, you, you don't know what you really mean by it. So it was like my first time, like, being around people from another part of the United States. So I really liked just to be out in the community. It didn't have to be community service-based, but I was just saying, like, it was just good to just meet some people and kind of get their perspectives on how they're regrouping from the, um, from the storm, as they call it. And, uh, and uh, just seeing the, the rebuilding, and um, I thought sports was a, a good look for them um, in terms of just a pastime. Um, I thought it was a good way for people to rally and just remember, hey, look, you know what? Like, there should be some times of balance in life where, you know, we're, we we don't stress ourselves out as much and things like that. And so I thought that was really healthy for the city. I really, like, thought that was a great um, season. We we were one game from going to Western Conference Finals, losing to Spurs in Game 7. And uh, obviously playing there with, like, a young uh, Chris Paul was really good to see his growth and, and David West and guys like that. So I really felt I was around a lot of veterans and 
they helped me with so I saw quickly what professionalism looked like. You hear about Chris Paul and his, you know, four general mentalities, always getting on his teammates. What was one of the things as a young Chris Paul got on a young Julian Wright about? Passing up shots. Mm. Um, that's been his big thing. He felt like I get you the best shot in this offense. Like that's his mentality. Like, like I got you the best shot in this 24 second shot clock, shoot the ball. And for me, I'm coming from college where I didn't even really get those reps where the ball come to me, I just let it go. Mm. So I was like a slasher, you know, so I, I felt comfortable driving to the hole. And, you know, I can understand, you know, as a much older now, it's kind of like, well, look, I don't really trust you to make the best decision after I would give you the ball. Like, I gave you the ball to shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I've got a couple of assists here and there, but, you know, I had some still turnovers, different things like there, I make a tougher shot than I need to. So I felt like that was something that I had to learn. Towards the end of my year, my uh, rookie, I started to kind of catch on to what I need to do. And I actually shot 40% my rookie year. I had you know, a lot of, you know, from three. And uh, I didn't have a lot of shots, but, you know, I felt like I started to understand the offense and, and the business aspect of basketball. It's not just like what every player thinks they can do. You know, well, you know, y'all draft me because of these skills. It's like, look, yeah, we draft you because of your skills, but you not quickly figure out talent produced in this league or you're going to be out with a lot of talent. And I feel like that's kind of what happened with, with um, CP and I like, you know, I just, it was new for me, but you know, older players that kind of know, okay, I got to shoot this shot. They didn't count me on to shoot this shot. It's seven seconds on the shot clock. Look, this is the possibly the most likely the best shot. I didn't really understand that. And um, you know, that's kind of something that we would go, you know, uh, butt heads about. So you get a chance to play with CP, you know, Tyson Chandler, David West, then you, like you mentioned, you get a chance uh, to go north of the border and play in Toronto with uh, yeah. one of our one of the uh, friends of the show, Reggie Evans. What was that experience just like playing out of the country, which ends up spearheading your next few years journey overseas? How did that time in Toronto help you um, being a kid from Chicago, going to Kansas? Like, how did that propel you to, to take your next steps overseas? For sure. So um, that was a great experience. Well, first off, it was a, it was awkward. I found out I got traded through ESPN ticker when I was uh, in all so, season. So hold on. <laughs> players really yes, you, 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 one. Yes. you you hear yeah. about players find out they get traded or coaches getting let go. <laughs> like sometimes I feel like that is kind of BS a little bit. But that stuff yeah. really happened. That's how that was one of the moments where I'm like, this is clearly a business I never thought. It was at all, or thought it was still some type of game, you know, childish game type thing. It was like, it's like even in most industries, they normally sit, let you know. We send you email. What about hey, the agent? They didn't, they didn't let the agent know, like like front no, office. No. That's crazy. No, they just say, look, like yes, the reports do get out quickly, but it's no way that the GM or the owner lets the press know before a player. Like it's no way that it leaks before that they send it to an agent, like you said, or a player. Like it can be as it can just be even as simple as thank you for your services. We appreciate you know what you did or yada yada. Uh, wish you all the best. You don't have to make an excuse for why you traded. You don't have to say this. It's just let me know first. Like I was just like landing in my bed uh, at the time I was living in L.A. Um, and I was just like, what? So that's when I was like, okay. So I got traded and um, and uh, anyway, so going to you got trade, you got, got traded on your day off. <laughs> exactly. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I thought it was a great experience in Toronto with, uh, you know, it's another place like a lot of culture. Um, they have a lot of different ethnicities and, and it's very peaceful. The food was good, uh, it was clean. It was like the fans, they really were into the basketball, even though it was like, you could call it hockey nation, but 
they really start to get behind Toronto and, and what they're doing. Obviously, you saw with them winning it last uh, this past year. Um, I was really happy for them just as a former Raptor because I saw the dedication of fans and the management. You know, I think they did a pretty good job taking that team with, you know, DeMar DeRozan. Of course, he was a big integral part. I think of just getting fans excited about you know, basketball out there. Of course, Chris Foss as well. But I just felt like, you know, it was a lot, it, a lot of these people who may not been on that championship team had a lot to do with, you know, just that general interest and in maybe to even bring the management to try to acquire certain players to do these things, those things. So I really, I really enjoyed my time there. And, um, uh, you know, uh, just, just, it was a short, you know, it was one season, but, uh, you know, I was able to see a lot of young players and the player development side of a player like DeMar DeRozan playing with some other guys. So I really, I went from a team, with a lot of vets to a team, with a lot of young players. Mm. And I saw that, you know, it was like a lot of work that needs to be done during the season. You move on, work with, with those young guys, and then you end up being uh, spending the next eight to eight to nine years of your career overseas, being like the veteran over there. What would mm-hmm. you tell guys that are trying to decide on a play in the NBA as like that 14th, 15th man to just taking their talent, so to speak, overseas? We can be uh one of the most integral part of the team, make some good money, have a good way of life, see the world. What kind of advice right. do you give to guys in that situation? That's exactly what I would you know tell them is, you know, is basketball is played literally all over the world. And I think whether someone gets drafted a place, you know, if they're just even if they're drafted second round, they get just get a, a, a glimpse in the NBA. Like overseas these GMs, like, and the owners and fans, they're like, wow, like, you even made it there. That was, a, like, accomplishment. And, like, that builds value for someone to, to, like, make a decent living over there. Because there's a lot of players who don't get drafted. And they still, you know, take maybe four or five years to get solidified as a pretty good player overseas. But I think any way, any way, shape or possible, uh, any way, shape or form, should I say, um, I'd say people should start to learn more about that and, 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 uh, those other avenues, you know, because other industries, no one really, you know, like let's say somebody's a VP for this company or, you know, the, you know, is the expatriate something where like no one really cares like they're necessarily their, their what university they went to all this. It's just like that for basketball seems like when a lot of players feel like, man, I'm a bust if I didn't, you know, I got drafted and I didn't play well. It's like, you're still a professional, aren't you? Like maybe, maybe someone goes from being a VP of Coca-Cola and they they take a pay cut, but they go to another country, but they're still in that profession. Right. So that's why right. I look at it like people are taking a pay cut. Yeah, they're not making as much in the NBA, but if someone enjoys the game and they and they and they see what they've been working their whole life for, um, I think it's definitely rewarding. Um, it's you know some things here and there like late pay or no pay, things like that. You got to deal with some you know, international court stuff, at you know at times, but you know most of the time you know it's it's part of that 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 culture as well, like just their economy, different things. But I would just, you know, say that hopefully people just don't stay there when they're not getting paid. Just go to another team. <laughs> and that's all I can say about that one. There's too much to talk about on that one. One of my uh, close, close friends of the show, one of my good friends, James Gist, y'all were uh, teammates at uh, one of the most storied franchises overseas, Pantheonakos, and yeah. uh, in Greece. Uh, what yeah, was yeah. what was that opportunity like playing uh, on a, such a high, high major team uh, and one, you know, again, one of the biggest, biggest teams overseas? Oh, uh, that was great. Um, since I played there, I can I can announce it better than you. <laughs> Panathinaikos. Hey, hey, man, hey, I'm from <laughs> Texas, man. I can't even say uh, Illinois. I be saying Illinois. You know, people be up here getting <laughs> on my head. So, hey. <laughs> nah, no problem. I'm just messing with you. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, that was in EuroLeague. And, you know, I think 
Euro League is getting a lot of respect when they finally look at how many players have played in the Euro League, especially from Europe. You look at Luka Doncic, mm-hmm. like I mean, he he destroyed the Euro League. That's that's that league is clearly way better than the G League. I mean, you talking about like out at the NBA Euro League, it's like all the best uh, like teams from a lot of the countries in Europe. And, like, they have a lot of former NBA players or players who are good European players. They just, like, either I don't want to go to the NBA because, you know, that's where they're from. Like, I want to I go over there if I'm, you know, I can make a good living and I'm closer to home. So there's a lot of players don't even go to NBA or play a couple of years and go back to um, Europe. So it's a really competitive league. And uh, to play for um, Panathinaikos in Athens, that was a great experience. Um, you know, just playing at that high level and, you know, playing with guys. It's just, you know, they play the game the right way and tough and, and um I, I really every I feel like every stop of the way I've learned something about basketball and I, and I just want to be able to give a lot of my expertise back at some point. You mentioned getting back home recently. You were scheduled to play over in China this past basketball season, and you mm-hmm. end up not playing. But you got out and came back home before this whole coronavirus situation came about. What was that process like being over in China right before this thing got crazy? Yeah, that's when it's like. That was like out of a movie, and what's going on now is like out of another uh, a, a sequel to the movie. Because <laughs> I thought I was, I thought I was escaping it. I'm like, oh, it's right here. <laughs> so the coronavirus situation was going down heavy before you came back already over there. Was it like the news wasn't as big over here? Were they keeping stuff under wraps? Like you already knew what time yeah. it was. So I was over there. Like I had to play since February 2019. Mm. Um, I had I had a contractual situation. <laughs> with a team in France, and I just decided, look, I'm, I'm going to take the rest of the year off. I, it's just not worth the stress. My daughter, I have, I'm married with three kids. My daughter, she was in school, and I'm like, she doesn't deserve to, like, come back to the States and then go somewhere else again. And, like, we're going to finish her year out in the States. All that being said, I was, I got out of shape. I wasn't in the best shape, so I let, you know, let my agent know that, and they, they were high on me just based on my talent. In France, I was arguably the best player in the league. Talk that talk, Julia. Talk that talk. <laughs> I, I'm just saying I was. You know, I, like, my evaluation, you know, how they do, like, PER and NBA. Like, I was the best, most efficient player. We were top eight team in February. And, um, you know, I just had to leave because they weren't taking care of uh, honoring my contract. But anyways, so I just love no hey, I'm out of shape. And uh, so they was like, well, you know, we, we like what we saw on film last year. We'll, we'll, we'll let you get in shape. So about six weeks, I was getting in shape. I was just about to start playing. So I got there in, like, December. And towards the end of January, that's when everything really took off. So I was about to start playing. Dropped 20 pounds. I was ready. Mm. And then, yeah, and then, uh, you know, everything took place. And, you know, they were definitely trying to keep it under wraps, I believe, in, uh, in Wuhan, the area where it started. And I think it seemed to be like, well, most people are not, like, coming, like, traveling from China. And I think that's kind of what. So I basically um, terminated my contract. I just took a flight. And I just said, I got to get out of here. Because, mm. I mean, I was like, it was, I don't speak the language. There's a lot of stuff going on. Like, they, they're about to suspend the season. So I was like, I'm not worried, waiting for the CBA to suspend the season. I'm, like, I'm going to ask for my release. So basically, I came home, and then, you know, like, it just slowly got to the point where I guess people have been in China, and and, and slowly these things, people were, were, I guess, just spreading it, you know, globally. People, you know, cause a lot of people were in and out of China with, you know, businesses and things like that. So that's kind of how, how, I guess, you know, it got to the point where now what was happening there, I guess they're just trying to keep it from happening you know, as much as big of a spread as it was there. So you're talking about coming back from China. You you beat that curve, you know, and now mm-hmm. you're you started up a, a new basketball athletic development and all purpose training company called Adapt based out of mm-hmm. Charlotte. 
Now, tell the people out there, you know, what that company is about and how did you come up with the idea? Okay. Uh, yeah, so basically, like I was saying, in February of last year, had some contractual disagreements, um, came back to the States, and, you know, at the time, I'm just thinking, like, there's going to be a, a stop at some point. You know, I, I've willingly decided, you know, hey, my family talked about we were going back to the States. In the back of my head, you know, I'm like, I'm not getting any younger. So I, I kind of just started to think about, you know, what other things may I, may I want to do when I'm done playing. And I thought about coaching, like, period, just coaching. And I was like, man, that's going to be tough because now I'm be traveling again. And I'm, I'm not, not going to really see my kids grow up and spend as much time with my wife doing things like that. So I was kind of like just kind of thinking about, you know, training business. I'm like, like, how can I, you know, make this something that's a viable solution for retirement. And so basically it's been a journey. Um, and to be as succinct as possible, I wanted, I wanted to coach the community. That's how I call it. I didn't want to coach 15 boys, girls, men or women, depending on the, like, the team and the level. So I just said, like, I have too much expertise just to have it and keep it in one area. And I feel like that's the norm in the safe route for foreign players. They can get a decent playing job, a collegiate or professional level, and uh, I just felt like, you know, yeah, it's a little risk and it's, you know, as an entrepreneur, but I felt like the reward would be great with me picking my own hours and then just being able to coach whomever, however much or how much little, little that they, they need um, throughout the year. What is so different about ADAPT than the regular old basketball facility that we see out there on a day-to-day basis? Well, I would say with, with, the way I wanted to separate myself and uh, differentiate my business model is that Adapt essentially means to deals with being like the sports psychology behind it um, as a mentorship type of role. I can put people through a lot of uh, real life situations, do some uh, some speaking engagements, you know, rather than some people hiring, let's say, someone to talk like I don't have to hire anyone. People who, who train with me in person or virtually, I'll be able to you know drop some jewels of knowledge, wisdom and just kind of just kind of give, give people that real raw, you know, um, you know, non, non-political answers and talk about things, but also that deals with technology as well. As you said, it was a, an acronym at its core, athletic development, that's sport performance, all-purpose training, multi-skills, but ADAPT also deals with technology. So I'm going to have a lot of tech, technologically advanced apparatuses in my facility to capture data that I think parents, if they're going to spend decent money for training, like me, year-round, they should have some metrics so they can sit down and we can sit down with them and say, hey, look, just like they do with the pros, you know, they they they, they need to work on left wing jumpers because they're not making as many, or they need to work on you know their speed of you know how quick they hit touch the ground and, and jump up again, like second jump. So I have a lot of metrics like wearables and and shock trackables that they'll be able to like get that data and we and then we analyze it. So the the and the data is precious, but then it's the person who beholds that data, and that's myself being able to give them you know clean cut. Uh, analyses and that really helped them throughout their journey. And so it's a whole bunch of other toys and things I have, but that's that's the core of my business. So Adapter is almost like the best buy of training facilities. You got a little bit of uh, this technology over <laughs> here. You got some of that technology over there. You're just going to put it all together in one big, one big hodgepodge and just say, come and get it. Based on certain things, like, for example, in Charlotte, people will benefit from um, being here often is I'll have an academy. So people would be able to train year round and get access to all the amenities for different classes. Um, and then I'll have some different classes in the weekends. They offer certain different programming. I have the like open shooting. I call DIY shooting. Some people don't even want to train with me. They just want to come get some shots up. It's kind of like they can come in and just rent the doctor dish and get some shots up. 
I just want to be able to, um, like, I'm more of a bas- more than a basketball trainer. Like, I'm a programmer. You think about a parks and recs director, you know, they have a different programming to suit the needs of different people. Like, I'll be doing preschool. I'll be doing homeschool classes during the daytime. So I just want to make sure that I'm, a, actually, I'm accessible. It's not just chasing a check or whatever. It's like, look, I want to be accessible myself and staff to, to give people what they're looking for and uh, promote fitness and fundamentals in basketball. So a parent could be at a desk at work say if they want to log on to the adapt website or app or whatever uh, medium you use to give the feedback could a parent be sitting on there looking at little johnny's uh, basketball program and maybe hit you up on the lunch break and have questions well essentially it's it's, it's a lot of tools and one of them is i'll have ip cameras basically i can have those um hardwired and put placed on my facility where i can i can uh, provide feedback on like the practice. So let's say I put them through a, a class or a practice, whatever you want to call it, a workout, and um, I can record that. And so we don't waste time with breaking a whole bunch of things down. I can instruct in person, but for each client, let's say, um, I can then break down that film. So I just, you know, I can like uh, basically make a, a, a special edit of clips and say, hey, look, you got to be lower on this, lower than that. So a lot of the coaching is in person, but to make sure everybody's getting you know, extra attention, I can look at the film and then send it to them. So like you said, if somebody's parents on a lunch break, they can read you know, my comments. And then when they get home, maybe I don't see that client for another few days or something like that. They can have that and look at it. And so the next time you come in, I'm going to also hold them accountable. Like, hey, I gave you this stuff. I recommend some extra ball handling between, between sessions. Hey, work on that. So when we come back, we can get it going. So I want to, I'm promoting efficiency. My prices also reflect efficiency. And why pros sometimes do you know, have a regimen that, you know, seems pricey. A lot of times they know that they're going to, when they get with somebody, they're going to get a lot in in that time period. I'd rather someone come to me once a week and I give them some feedback that holds them over for another three days or a week rather than have people come in for two times a week about the same price and I'm not giving them anything to keep working on later. So that's kind of how I do it. Another thing you mentioned, a part of your facility, you have cameras. Uh, you have like OTP set up, video conferencing. So that yeah. one thing I researched on your facility that you also have a basketball TV production line uh, arm of your company. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, sir. So uh, that's a great segue because uh, and it's very relevant nowadays right now with this coronavirus now with, the, you know, trying to prevent the spread and everything. There's a lot of kids at home. Um, it's definitely inconvenient. You know, AAU is done. Travel ball is done. Uh, even collegiate players. Um they're not, you know, their season's finished. Even people just love basketball and watching. Even some kids like to learn from players um, in the NBA and watching games. They're not able to see that. So it was a big thirst right now. And I, and I felt like this is a, a viable solution. I was already working on it anyway. So I'm ready to launch that next month. Uh, between, uh, basically beginning of May. Um, so basically what I'm going to be doing is, is uh, using the cameras in my facility also to do live streams and video on demand. So I'll be able to do live classes. And and just and I'll be doing some some live some free ones as well. Just in the meantime, because I know, like I said, economy how it is, and um, I want to just promote fitness and getting out there and have some structured workouts because you know it's hard to tell an eight year old go outside in the backyard and, and go through a thirty minute workout <laughs> and, and you know right. I mean be disciplined. It's hard to tell some pros sometimes. <laughs> right, right, right. You, you know what I mean? So I feel like that's my place right here is to say, look, I see that there's a need. How I, how about I, I be able to expand my reach outside of Charlotte? And provide an economical solution for people who who want to learn the game of basketball. And you know, I'll be doing webinars and demonstrations with you know, annotating on 
on um I have a, a, a customized app that's being created now that have like a cord on there and I can kind of like put drills on there and, and type them out. So it'll be a lot of things I can do to help with people with kids spatial reasoning. And so they can just learn the game and, and using technology, just keep them engaged. And uh, so I'm excited about that just to be a resource while, you know, parents maybe want to uh, be a little more stingy with, in their wallets right now. I know what the economy is doing. So their kids can still have some structure and get out and work out and, and uh, maybe with a couple of friends and things like that. That that piece is almost kind of like a seems like a, like a Peloton for basketball training, huh? Right. I mean, that's that was some of my inspiration. You know, I don't charge two thousand for a bike, but you know, I felt like the the monthly subscription is is merited. You know, it's forty dollars. You know, and they get videos on demand, live classes. It feels like they're a part of a group of people, and it's cheaper than you know for some people going into a studio and paying you know fifteen dollars to ride a bike each class. So it makes sense. Um, and for me, you know, I feel like my price is comparable, but I'm not, you know, I feel like I assume, I assume most people have uh, either a smartphone, a tablet, uh, a TV or computer in their household. So all someone needs to do is have some Bluetooth earphones and they don't have to worry about $2,000, you know, to, to, to subscribe and get some quality um, workouts in. So it's going to be set up like uh, uh, Peloton. Uh, my cousin uh, Raquel has a Peloton, and I kind of watched her one day go through the list. It's 50, 60 different type of classes with different type of instructors. Are you going to set up something similar to that, or how will yours be like your own flavor? So, yeah, so this is the thing. I'm using Vimeo, which is huge on, like, uh, people who, who put out a lot, of, a lot of quality video production, and some of the analytics that they have it really helps with kind of setting the right timing of putting out things. So basically, I'll do, as you think about ESPN, there's some things that are live, um, like actually live, like you'll know it's live, like I sneeze, it ain't no post-production, like I sneeze right there, <laughs> or, 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 or like I'm typing in, like, because I'm going to be doing Q&A and polling, so I want to make it a little bit different than Peloton, where I might encourage people in the screen, of course, like, hey, we got to get this, the last part of, of, the, of the class, we got to get, get after it, run harder, whatever, but at the same time, like after the stream or towards the end of it, I'll myself and staff will be doing polling and Q and a on the spot. Wow. We'll cut that out. When, we'll cut that out when we, you know, do post-production, but you know, if there's a question about certain drills, you know, I'll open it up or we'll do frequently asked questions section. Like how many people polling certain questions? Well, I'll answer like two or three of those questions just to give them that extra value. So it's not just the what, just the why. It's like, why is this important? And things like that. So during the, during the drill, you know, people can get the working, but I could tell them and give them a lot more points of emphasis afterwards. Just expand your reach, not only, like you said, in the Charlotte metropolitan area, just all over the country and all over the world. Anybody can just log on and get a class when they need it and then get your feedback. That's pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. So I, that's what, that's what I plan on doing. Having, um, you know, I'll have classes that are live pre-programmed, pre-recorded, but then they'll, they'll stream live to everybody else. So that's why, you know, people like for Peloton, they look up and see all these classes. Um, it'll be similar. You know, I'll pre- I, you know, have my own facility. I can just record a whole bunch of workouts and then it just builds value for that, that subscription price. So that's kind of what I'm going to just stress is I'll do different levels, you know, for beginners, you know, all the way up to advanced. I'll have a lot of different programming. So it's like whatever someone's looking for, hey, I, got, I can put them through a whole bunch of workouts. Well, that's 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 impressive, brother. We are excited about the new Adapt facility. Everyone, please go check it out on www.adaptbasketball.com. 
uh, Coach Julian Wright will be uh, giving a lot of update information. What's the official uh, opening date? Official opening date is going to be May 1st, whether this whole situation comes uh, stops or not. I can't keep pushing it back. <laughs> so <laughs> May 1st is definitely when it starts. You, uh, you, you might have to start yeah. with this all virtual virtual at the beginning. Like everybody around the country, your kids are going to class online and all that kind right. of stuff. You might right. have to do the, 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 the online piece at the beginning. That, exactly. That's what I'm looking to do. So I'm going to def- definitely give out a lot of promo codes eventually. If you all uh, follow me on my social medias, I want to definitely just, you know, meet people where they're at with the economy, but at the same time, just know that, hey, look, I- I'm still an expert when it comes to what I'm doing. So uh, I can't do everything pro bono. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mr. Julian Wright, we appreciate you coming on the No Referees podcast, sharing your stories, talking about some of your experiences at KU in the NBA overseas and the new facility you have going on. Everyone, please go follow him on Instagram at Julian Wright underscore dat basketball and on Twitter at JW underscore dat b-ball for all the updated news and when his uh, facility opens up and how to chit-chat with him. He's really good about getting back to all of his fans and followers. Again, we just want to yeah, say yeah. thank you for coming on your show, the show today, brother, and sharing some of your stories. I appreciate it, bro. I really, I really appreciate the opportunity. And everybody stay healthy and stay safe out there. Yeah, for real. Thank you. You too, brother. Thank you too. We appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the No Referees Podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this show and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget to follow us on social media at No Referees Pod. Till the next episode, we out.